This is Infidel One. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, F&T's got it. Wildlife Control Supplies. Proven solutions for wildlife control. Delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're in the ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company, have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go traffic. Toting son of a gun, yeah, I'm hell on the heart, just a rebel on the run. Scared, don't know it, fear, don't feel it. The truth is the light, sometimes you gotta fight. Good beats bad, right beats wrong. I'm a ballroom preacher and this is my song. I'm climbing for the top, representing for the country. I'm the people's champ, right out to dead camp. Shotgun toter, Republican voter, Hank Jr. supporter, let's protect our border. 
to hell with anyone who don't believe in the USA. Cause this is what I say. I won't back up. I don't back down. I've been raised up to stand my ground. Take my job, but not my Hey Clint, this is uh, Jesse here to complete my mission, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm uh, I'm glad you thought my recording idea was cool. At first, I thought it was kind of bold because I tend to ramble and, you know, I I talk, you know, too much maybe. But uh, I'm pretty humbled and honored that you thought it was cool. So I'm here to complete my mission and uh, explain how to do this. Uh, pretty much, I my phone is a Samsung Galaxy Note 3, and it comes with a recording app already on it. I'm sure if you have an iPhone or uh, Android, you can go to Apple Store or Google Play and uh, download, if your phone doesn't already have it, a recording app. Mine's pretty simple. You can actually, uh, I haven't played with it a whole lot. You uh, probably could crop in certain parts of your message out or combine uh, recordings together, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's more elaborate ones on the other app stores than that. So, now uh, there's two ways of getting um, uh, record uh, the recordings to email. And it's pretty simple, actually. Uh, if you open your app, you'll have the little like Android has a share symbol. I'm not sure what iPhone's um, symbol is for share. So, like I did a recording. This one is of uh, it's going to be. I'm going to name it like Mission Completion or whatever, and um, I'll select that one. Hit the share button. It pops up. What do you want to share this with? I'll choose Gmail. Address it to you. Therefore, or uh, the longer way could be. You connect your phone to a USB cord to your computer. You would, um, I forget what file, I think it's S Voice is a folder for my phone that would pop up. And then you could um, select the recordings you would like to remove off your phone onto the computer and then you have it saved on your computer so that way it's not taking space up on your phone. And I'm sure you, I think you're an Apple dude, so I'm sure you could, uh, you have the iCloud. I'm sure you could wirelessly send these recordings or whatever to the cloud and pull them off another Apple device. But on that, I don't. I, Google kind of has that with the Google Drive. I don't mess with that. I, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm still learning all that stuff. So I could just download it directly to the computer. And if I wanted to send you, um, I, I put my recordings under my music because that's sort of audio files. It's considered an audio file. That's where they go for me. And then if I, you know, pull up Gmail or whatever email service you're using, attach the, the file and go from there. That's what I've been doing, you know, and uh, it, you're right. This is kind of neat because it's kind of like... Uh, in a way, kind of the survival podcast, guys get to you know call in and hear their voice. It's, it's kind of neat. So, and really, uh, with the recording like the smartphone, it's a lot more clear and uh, you know better quality than over the phone. No offense to Jack, but you know it's a good, it's a cool idea. So, here's a file. Um, hope I explain it clearly. If there's any confusion, please. My my number is an, um, my phone number is at the bottom of my email so that you get frequently. So if you have any questions, please email me back or call. I really appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to listen to the rest of the show. Good, sir. Take care. Welcome to Trapping Radio, everybody. This is your host, Clint Locklear from Predator Control Group uh, from the base of the Appalachian Mountains, if you didn't know that, in Tennessee. And uh, if, you're, if you've got ADD, you're going to love tonight's show because it's going to cover 
a wild, a wild, wild selection of stuff that's pertinent to trapping. Uh, I'm going to start off with the, the Dunlap wasp bores I went through today, just quickly because it's funny. But that's not really one of the topics. We're going to talk about um, a 40-year cycle without, without, throughout history, which is, I've been really looking at this, it's fascinating. And you can see the fur prices off of this thing. Not down to the exact year, but you can, I mean, it's just amazing. We'll get into that. Uh, the, the other thing we're going to talk about is a gentleman by the name of Don Bolte. Now, he's passed away. He's literally one of the giants, and I mean giants, of high rolling, catching coon, and long lining at such a high rate of speed. And he was doing it back when everybody thought, and the big name guys in the country were like everybody was patting them on the back and slobbering over them when they were catching 300, and he was busting 1,000 in a month. And he has a very distant, different system that uh, I was talking to Jeff with about live last night. Jeff never heard of him, so I thought, well, this is a cool story. We need to talk about it on Trapping Radio. And then we're going to finish up on a little bit of critical thinking when it comes to trapping supplies and some of the gossip and, and stuff you hear inside of the trapping industry just so you don't get sucked into something you don't need to be sucked into. And uh, so that, that's a wide range. I mean, you know, we're going from the wasp battles to, uh, you know, like almost uh, prediction type stuff that I can you can trace back to the biblical times. You know, humans haven't changed that much, even though we want to think we have. Then we're going to get into one of the giants of the coon industry and some critical thinking that, that this needs to be in the back of everybody's mind when they're talking and stuff about trapping. So that's what I'm saying. It's like perfectly set up for an ADD person because like every few minutes it's going to be squirrel and you're going to run over there. So that's what we're going to be doing. Now, this morning I'm going over to the lure shop and... It gets really messy this time of year because there's a lot of stuff going on. And my brother, see, how would this be? My brother, brother's son, nephew, is uh, working on being an engineer up at, uh, at a college up in Cookville, Tennessee. On the way back through, I've, I've got a project I needed him to weld up. It's, it's like 12 or 14 Kiwi trellises. I've got the metal cut. He's going to weld them up for me and all that. So he comes by. So before he comes by, which was at 9 o'clock in the morning, I go and I go, okay, I need to make sure because he needed to use my welder and my gas and all that. So I get the welder ready and the gas and I make sure all the metal's where it is. And then I notice I don't have the regulator in the, in the, the hose that goes down to my MIG welder for the gas. So I need to find it and I've got an hour, no problem. And then... There's these little bitty things, and the, and the uh, trellises were cut out in, in kind of a cooperation between me and Chip down Mississippi Expand a Pan. And he made these cool little jigs so everything would be on point really quick. I mean, it's, it's neat how guys that do that think of such things. So I had two things I had to find the regulator and these pieces of metal. I have an hour to do it. So I start going through the carport, I don't find them. I go through what is the living room in, in our lure shop, uh, and it's, it's all this storage now. I can't find it. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll just put them out on the porch. 
and this is where my day went sideways I'm out there and it's not something on the porch it's something you know it's turned in kind of like the junk drawer of, of your kitchen everybody's got one you know what I'm talking about you got one in your bedroom that's kind of what the the front porch of the lure shop is turned into and I'm going through this stuff and I'm, I'm in shorts and Crocs and a t-shirt and I'm, I'm all you know feeling kind of frisky about because we finally the first time that we've had temperatures below 80 degrees in Tennessee since April which has been freakishly warm this year and dry so I'm feeling kind of frisky with that I got a podcast going in I don't remember which one it was everything's going right you know I know I've already got the day scheduled out I got to do the radio show I got to make uh, another two batches of cat collector. Travis is coming in later tonight and start bottling that. And and uh, I've got all this stuff I've got planned out for the day. Everything's going great. And then on the back of my head, I felt like someone shot me with a 22. And then under my left arm, another shot with a 22. Then on my right elbow, a shot with a 22 right on the outside of my thigh under my shorts was another shot and then there was another shot on the top of my foot and all this happened like half a second and it took me a minute to figure out what that was because we really haven't had wasp problems and that's, that's normally not a big deal around here i look down and i don't have my glasses on and then i see the swarming of yellow jackets so i take off like a crazy person i knock my hat off I throw my Bluetooth out of my ear, trying to just scrape anything that's on me off. I'm running back towards the house because I know since I'm fat, I can go downhill faster and I can go uphill and that's uphill from my house. So I'm running down that hill, trying to get away from these things and they are lighting me up. I've got welts all over my body. I get all the way down to the house, which is an honest to goodness, um, 70 yards from door to door where I started running to where I come. And as soon as I hit my porch, I get stung like three times back to back. And I realize one of those is underneath my shirt. So they followed me that 70 yards. And I mean, they're going to town. And I'm saying some words that I probably shouldn't be saying. And I'm swinging my arms around like a crazy person. And then once I realized they were actually in my clothes, I do what every sane person would do is I start stripping and I mean violently and fast now in the midst of this my poor mail lady is delivering mail so and I don't pay one bit attention to her till I jump in the house and do a quick uh, yellow jacket check I'm standing in front of a door which is all glass butt naked fat redneck Appalachian mail and she apparently was bringing something from Amazon, Cindy ordered, in the driveway. And there I am, swinging my arms everywhere and stripped, naked as a jaybird going in the house. I didn't think nothing else about it. Once I got calmed down, I'm like, holy crap, that was a male lady. And, and I've known her for years. And she's probably 65 years old, sweet country, you know, as you can get. But I would say that was just a little bit too much strangeness and uh, scariness going on with me stripping out in the open like that. So these wasps or these yellow jackets, I go back up once I, I make sure that they're not eating on me at the minute. And I've never had yellow jackets that were this tough. They ate two bottles of wasp spray and said, more please. So I'm like, okay, well, that's obviously not working. 
and I'm getting stung in between a lot of this and then I go back out and I'm like well I've, I've had a friend that used to use uh, lighter fluid because it was so uh, flammable that the fumes would get them well, I didn't have that but I had some mixed up uh, uh, you know like uh, chainsaw gas and they, these things were coming out of a box and it had old paper and stuff in there and they must have a, a massive nest and bomb that thing because I mean they were coming out in droves so I'd spray them down with a wasp they'd all come out and swarm but this time I could at least be behind the door of the other house and I mean they were just drinking the wasp spray so then I, I got the gas and I'm throwing it on the box and if it wouldn't have been on the porch with all the other crap I'd have just caught it on fire by this point it was extremely personal and then I ran out of that gas and it didn't seem to bother them one bit either now the box is completely soaked with highly flammable stuff and we're dry and and I'm I'm thinking holy cow maybe I can just kick it out the front yard and I'm just gonna throw a match on it as a run by or something and the the wasps are still coming out so I'm like they're not gonna beat me at this and they're not gonna bite me anymore because they, they've done got their pound of flesh and I'm looking around and I'm in the lure shop and I cannot figure out I can't find anything else you know I'm like thinking about all these crazy things I could use and there set on the floor was a case of full metal jacket the trap dip and so I'm, my brain's racing and I'm like okay maybe if the, if I can get this whole bottle inside that box and coat everything when they try to take off the the polymers and stuff will screw up their the wings and they won't be able to fly so that's what I did and believe it or not it worked now you know, I was, I was telling Jeff about this later, and he was like, you know, the predator control nuclear uh, option, because I, I but all the the spray, the gas, and the full metal jacket to get these things out of a box. Well, I'm not telling you that the full metal jacket is the best thing to use for wasp control, but it really saved my butt today. But I'm sitting here getting ready to talk about these other subjects, swole up, and I've been pulling stingers or whatever these things out of me all morning so if i like go into some type of shock and sound like i'm in a caesar you'll know why okay i want the the, the thing i want to talk about first and th this is very interesting and you can you can get this book uh you can get it on your kindle or your phone and they they've sold out it's, it's one of those books glenn beck talked about on one of his shows and they didn't they weren't ready for that anyway there's no hardback books to buy anywhere unless you can find one used but you can get it on on your kindle which is how i buy most of my books so i'm, I'm listening to him and he's saying some really neat stuff and of course he's putting it in terms of politics and advertising and things like that being a business owner that's important so i order this book and i order a lot of business books and normally i may read five or six before one actually has something that's like that's what I've been looking for. Now, also being a trapper, you automatically always in the back of your mind put weird things in the perspective of trapping or fur prices or something like that. At least I do. I mean, I, I can do a lot of correlations from other things that have nothing to do with trapping, but they match. So I, I can like put these parts of the puzzle together anyway. And uh, so we have that. And then I'm reading this, and, and the basics of the book, and it's just called The Pendulum, and 
this guy had this theory where every 40 years society goes from the me to the we generation and the interesting thing that caught my attention and he goes back in history a 40-year block a 40-year block all the way back to biblical times and it's dead nuts on every time you know like we we think that uh you know we're more modern today than they were in 7 bc when actually we're not we follow this same thing it's like a it must be some type of struggle within the human psychic where you for a while you get fired up on the me which is you know i'm gonna conquer destroy i can do it on my own i don't need help you know uh, that that type of what we grew up with if you're my age in the early 80s and late 70s kind of like the marlboro man type thing and then the we generation is what we live in now now this we generation frustrates me because it's not part of my culture because i'm older and it and it seems real like uh, cheesy and fluffy and and you know it's just uh you know let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya type stuff but all the way back through history all the way to the biblical times this swing happens guys and and there's some interesting things when you're in the me generation you like showing off that you have money you like showing off cool clothes and fur think about that now he didn't bring the fur up but he, he's talking about jewelry and clothes and everything else you know in your ear just think about what it was like in the early 80s if, if you're not old enough go watch some movies i mean men were men and wall street was, was would rob you blind and laugh at you about it and everybody to applaud them well now they do that and everybody tries to hang them see that that's a cultural shift between now and then we used to praise people like well, that does wall street stuff today back then and now they're evil and they should be put in jail See, that's a cultural swift through this, this swing. It's 40 years. Now, there's a lot of things that I'm not going to get into, but there is one thing that you need to understand before we get to the fur part of this. There's about a three to four year window. It's usually about six years on the end of this pendulum. If you think of a pendulum, it's like a you know, if, you're, if you've got a big bell swing and it goes up to the left or the right, but I don't want you to think of it in terms of politics because you're going you're gonna to get in the economy and screw yourself up. It's just the me side and then there's the we side. Now, the swing that happened from we to me was in 1983. And then you get two or three years, sometimes four where the we and the me are really in, in, in big fighting. So it's kind of in flux at that time. Then the me takes over, and in 2003, you had a little bit of the flux. And if, you, if you've ever looked at the survival side or, or read some of those blogs, around that time period is when all that kicked off because that's just the way this normally happens. And you also, it brought before that, before the we and before the we died, that's when PETA and all of these, uh, you know, humanity type uh, non-profit uh, organizations come up and start preaching and pointing their finger at you and everything like that. Because see, that crap wouldn't work in 1980. Nobody paying attention, but the, the, it's changed and it's starting to really go over to the we side. So that's when PETA and all that really got locked in. 
Now, just to change the subject a little bit, remember we're on an ADD fix here. The thing about the We Society that we're in now and we're going to be in until about 2023 is when it starts, people resist and then just culturally you kind of flow into it, which we are now, and you start getting a lot of regulations. Does it sound familiar to anybody? You start getting a lot of uh, self-righteousness of people that, that you know think you should do this, think of uh, uh, global warming, uh, recycling, all that type stuff. And this has been going on for thousands of years. It's just not right now. But it, you get into that, you know, think prohibition. That was when during the Wee Society. You couldn't have done it in the Me Society, but you can do stuff like that in the Wee Society. Bureaucratic stuff gets uh, worse. There's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of separation because people that still want to have some individuality fight the we, you know, and just like it is right now. And it's, I mean, you can see this historically happening everywhere. But the PETA thing, when it started, it was at the beginning of the shift. And if you look at it about 2005, 2008, when you start getting into the we a little bit more, all that sanctimonious finger pointing and bad, 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 you know, y'all people are evil and we got to stop you and all that. It starts poisoning the well, which I find very interesting because people finally get tired of people pointing their fingers and standing on their, their uh, little soapboxes preaching to everybody where they think they're better than everybody else because they do A and everybody else is doing B. And that's, then you can line that right up with a lot of the power that PETA and those groups had that they're now losing because they started before the shift actually started when there was a transition into the we. Now, I hope this makes sense because the we and me and all that after a while kind of sounds like, you know, mud flying around in a pot or something. But when you look at the fur prices, and here's another thing that should give a trapper hope. When was the fur prices the highest that they ever were? in our lifetime you're you're talking late 70s up to 1987 that's the transition from the we to when people start getting fired up about the me you know the the rugged individualism and stuff like that plus wanting to show your wealth and everything else that's when you saw furs all over america and that's what drove that you couldn't you couldn't produce enough fur at that time because society was in that massive me section of this pendulum. And then it cruises on up. Then you've got where it's at the bottom of the swing, at the bottom of the pendulum, which is 2003, where it switched from the me to the we, and you got a couple of years on either side where there's a struggle. And then on the very last side of that, if you'll think about the, the, the fur prices, the way that they they went up and down, you would go, well, if that was the last side of me, how come we didn't have the fur boom because the last of the me? It didn't last that long. Well, there's a couple of, there's a couple of things for this. One is America, Western Europe are on the same pendulum. And Australia is also on, on that same pendulum. It's kind of weird, but they're like a, a historically a faction of Europe. So, and if you're from Australia, please don't take offense to that. But the, the Australia, America, and then the Europe, when you think of France, England, Scotland, uh, Germany, 
we're all on the same pendulum. Now, all the way back through history, you can track the same thing for Asia, India, South America, where they're in the opposite of us. So if we're in the me part of the pendulum, they're in the we part of the pendulum. And if you start really, if you start kind of looking at things in this terms, a lot more makes sense in the world. I mean, it really does. If you look at China between 1980, probably uh, six and seven, till 2003, they absolutely kicked Americans butt in manufacturing and growing wealth. They could do that because they were in the we. They worked together, being a communist country, they worked together, they, they, they put up with the sacrifice and, and all that stuff that comes in the we society where we all gotta be community and we gotta sacrifice for the better good and all that type stuff that we hear every day now. That's what the society was in China then. So they pulled together like we did. And when we think of the, the last, you know, greatest generation, the way they did. And the economy boomed, just like ours did when America was in the we section of that, you know, after the World War II and all that. So you can see this cycle repeating. But the interesting part for trappers that this ought to, if you don't think I'm absolutely nuts by rambling on about this, it ought to give you hope about the fur market because if we're in the we that means china's in the me and that china is definitely in the me right now china is losing control of the people because they're being individualist and they're not being the community well america is turning into the community and the, it's not like a direct correlation on fur where you can go, okay, this year it's going to be hot and this year it's going to be not. But you can kind of see the patterns of this. What this is showing is the me society over in China wants to show and be like we were back in the early 80s. Showing the fur, the big cars, the big house, the mansions. That's where all that got started. You know, the big jewelry, the big hair, all that. That's where all that got started. They're now in the middle of that. That's going to mean they're going to want fur because in that society, that's a big status symbol, just like it was in the late 70s and 60s and the, the early 80s here. It was a big status symbol. So somewhere that's going to overtake whatever's going on over there now along with because their economy's kind of shrinking because they built their economy off of the we, but they're not no longer in that cycle. But you're going to have the me starting to surface really, really strong as we as America gets more into the we. So we're all holding hands and singing Kumbaya and everybody needs help. And we all got to sacrifice for the greater good. And we got to put our plastic in the plastic barrel and the aluminum in the aluminum barrel. And, you know, we all need to get chickens now because they eat food scraps and that saves space. And you know what I'm talking about. You hear this stuff all the time. Well, they're in the complete opposite. We're in the complete we, they're in the complete me. So what this is showing, and if you go back and look at the first spikes through history, it's also following this same thing. Who has the money during this cycle has a lot to do with when it cycles on what side of the pendulum for us, the American trapper. China has generated way more wealth 
spread out over much greater uh, volume of people going from poor to middle class to upper middle class than we have because of the way that we're, we're going about the way that we do stuff in our country. So they are the ones with the money now. In the early 80s and late 70s, we were the one with the money. And if you'll follow this trend, we wanted the fur. We sent it over to Asia and places like that. They turned it into garments and sent it back to us. On this swing, as it's going, we're going to produce the fur and we're going to be sending it straight over to China and people in Asia that want the fur because they want it there because they're the one that's going to have the money. Now, there's all kind of things that can happen with this. I mean, you've got wars and you've got, you know, e economic crashes and everything like that. And see, here's one thing, guys, that you need to keep in mind when you're thinking about this pendulum. Not just for the fur trade, but for your own bank account. When did we have Black Friday, which is 1987? It was on the very end of the week. And then you went through 2003, which is our breaking point. I mean, that was the me, which is a lot of debauchery. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, it was people were doing anything and everything they could to get an extra dollar. I mean, it was craziness. And money was very easy to get. Well, as that happens on, on the me side, you start getting, um, things get out of whack in the stock market and, and values of stuff, and then there's a bubble and it crashes, 1987. When you come to the 2003 and you swing over and you give it that couple of years, you're, you're right at the beginning of the housing bubble of 2008. So inside of these, both of these pendulums, because society goes one way too far or the other way too far, there's always a financial problem. Now, when you, and you can see in this window, like I said, please don't think I'm on drugs because I'm really not. This window can be somewhere between three to six years before the next big one comes, which is if you go six years from 2003, let's see, 2000, 2023, I'm sorry, minus six that's 2017 so according to this thing that's happened over and over and over again all the way back to american history all the way through european history all the way to the bible times we're due for another major correction somewhere around 2017 18 or 19 kind of like a 2008 kind of like the smaller bubble with the tech and then you had the black friday of 1987 So just as a, a human being, I might keep that in mind a little bit if I was you. But get the book and do your own research from what it's saying. And it, it's just fascinating because you start seeing society in a whole different way. If you've got a business, guys, you cannot like the we generation, but the barbarians are at the gate. And that's the only people that's going to be at the gate for the, the most part. And if you want to be able to sell, and if you're in a business that sells something and you got to sell it to the barbarians, you better know how to talk to the barbarians. And that's what this book teaches you. Because it's really hard for me because I grew up in the Marlboro Man age, John Wayne. And, you know, you had heroes that were all good, powerful, look good and all this. 
And now it's the complete opposite, which I'm sure if you're my age, you're looking at it very different because now you got Batman fighting Superman. I mean, no one would ever think of such a thing in the 1980s. That's not what heroes did. And then you've got the Iron Man and all the Marvel people. Those, those just had their big battle last year. And that's always part of the we generation. The we generation comes together and destroys stuff. And a lot of times it's heroes and and uh, different businesses and different things like trapping and things like that, which we're going to talk about just a little bit. But it's just a fascinating thing to wrap your head around. And if you're if and if you don't believe anything else, I'll say you you can dang sure bet on 3,000 years of research that we're in the we generation to 2000, at least 2020 minimum to 2023, which is part of the reason that Hillary and Trump, neither one, can get a whole lot of traction with most of the voters, which are millennials, which is 35 and under. Because they're still talking like it's 1981, both of them, where it's about me and I'm great and I'm good and I'm going to do this and you should praise me and, and all this type stuff. Obama did not talk like they did. He talked like he's talking to the generation that can vote him in, which they did twice. But Trump and Hillary both are speaking in the wrong section of this 40-year pendulum. So once you kind of get this, you can kind of see how this is going to work. Now, the sad part to me being 46, see, it's 2000, see. I've got at least eight more years to put up with all this wee stuff. You know, there's no way to get around it. So, I mean, that, that's kind of depressing to me because I believe in the individual because that's most of my life has grown up in that type thing. It's up to the individual to make it or break it, stuff like that, which a lot of us in trapping hold dear to because of our ages. And we seem really lost in today's world because it's all this holding hands and singing and you know, won't the world be a happy place? It's, it's just confusing. Now see, what's interesting about this, if you read the book, the same songs that are sung in 2003 are sung 40 years uh, earlier than that and 40 years earlier than that and 40 years earlier than that. The, the content of books and novels were the same. 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. That's when, you know, clothes come back in style, the hippie thing comes back in style. Eventually, the rugged individual will come back in style and the hippie thing will fade away and then there'll be a lot of you know, trying to, to conquer and get a lot of stuff and, you know, the, the kind of like the American dream on steroids and then it'll go the other way. So, but as long as you understand this and if, you're, if your kids understand this, they can understand the world they're in better and they can probably make better decisions without being such a, uh, just a go along type person because you can, you can understand it. And once you have information like this, you can make better decisions, at least I think. Now we're going to get into truckloads of coons. I told you, ADD tonight. Now Don Bolte, uh, what started this is uh, uh, Yoda Jeff Dunlap gave advice on Facebook to a guy, which I thought was really good. We was talking on the phone. And a guy put a post up, I'm catching coyotes and coon by the back feet. How do I correct it? And Jeff said, 
<laughs> because he's just practical down earth. If you're catching them consistently, it doesn't matter if it's by the front foot or the back foot. I wouldn't change anything, which I think that it, that response is spot on. You know, if you're catching, don't screw with it, you know, type of thing. But it was the, the back question. And, you know, he was talking about coon and back front and front foot and stuff. And we're just, you know, having a, a guy's conversation. And, and I told him that, see, I'm used to catching coon by the back foot if I'm trapping in the water because I trap by the Don Bolte style. And Jeff has never heard of Don Bolte, which I found fascinating. And, you know, it's just different circles and different stuff we've been drawn to. But if Jeff hadn't heard about it, there's a good chance a lot of y'all hadn't heard about it. And I think you should hear about it because it's a, it's an amazing man with an amazing story. Now, we're going to go back in time to the middle to late 70s. And if you're young, you're going to have a hard time deciphering this a little bit. Just for the simple fact that the numbers that we catch today were not very common back then. It's just, uh, it really wasn't. You know, if you caught a hundred fox back in the, before 87, you were like top tier. Well, today there's high school kids in Maryland that catch 300 fox after school. Technology's changed, our understanding of the animals changed, uh, techniques have changed, populations have changed, competition has changed, all this stuff has changed. But back then, you had a lot more people chasing fur, and, and, and relatively speaking for the buying power, it was a whole lot more money than I've ever seen since I've been trapping. So all that was going on, so you know, like 100 fox was really good, a hundred coyotes would be, you know, just, I mean, unbelievably rocking, especially anywhere in the east. And then you got coon guys, and, you know, there were some, uh, some really famous coon trappers at that time, and they were catching somewhere around 200, 300, 320 coon. And, I mean, they were like superstars because that was, you know, three times what everybody else was catching during that same time period. But out in the Midwest, you had a group of people that kind of hung together, kept their mouth shut together until later, and they didn't really say a whole lot, but they were doing a whole lot. And you know, one of them is Ron Hansen, which is where the kill poles come from. Uh, Don Bolte, he started the career of many of the best coon trappers in the country. And I'm not gonna mention names here because I don't know, I haven't talked to some of these guys. But you would, you would want to go up and shake these guys' hands today at a trapping convention that are known coon guys. I mean, one of them especially took lessons directly from Don Bolte. And then you had these guys, and they were into professional trapping in the Midwest, but on a different level than professional trapping in the East. I mean, they had really, really big lines. They had awesome laws. They had high animal populations. And they, they, they like tore down their trapping to the point of where it was like a scientific system of, of how to do about this. And Don Bolte was the first one that I know of that consistently could go out in the 70s and early 80s and knock out 1,000, 800 coon, 1,200 coon in a month. Not a season, a month. 
and that's before DPs. That's before uh, like some of the guys out in Iowa do now, where they go hang you know seven eight hundred snares and open them all on the first day. Before any, I'm talking footholes, <coughs> a form of a pocket or something on the bank, and a trap. <coughs> Excuse me. I get a little bit excited and choked up when I start talking about some of this stuff. So what was Don Bolte doing different? And I see this is the way that I learned the coon trap because it made perfectly good sense to me about this system. He used, at the beginning, he used wood pickets with a, a trap that had like two to three feet of chain on it and then he would go to a number one that was four cold and laminated. And he would stick that out in the deep water. Later, it went to more like T-bars because that became more, more common and more popular. But the system in the East that most guys were teaching that were more famous at that time as trappers were the, the what we kind of think about as the standard way that uh, a lot of guys trap today. You know, you dig a pocket, you, you put a stake, you get a slide wire, you stake it out in the deep water, you bait the pockets, you've got your little pet way that you put your trap, and that's the way you roll. Now, when you look at the, the time it takes to do that, what Don Bolte did was not have the perfect system, but it was almost perfect, and it was 10 times faster. So when he gets out of the truck, he, he, had, this, he had this thing down. On each side of the creek, got two traps. I mean, he put out two traps when he got out of the bridge. So he got he had two stakes that are hooked up to two pieces of chain with two different traps. And in his pocket, he would have carp or muskrats with a stick going through them. So when he got out of the truck, he wasn't carrying a bag. He wasn't carrying a shovel. He wasn't carrying wire and cable cutters and all that. So he's already more mobile than a regular Eastern trapper was at that time because that's what he would grab. He grabbed the traps in his bait. He would go down to the water and he would find where the bank started coming up and he would pin that fish or that muskrat carcass to the bank under some high grass. Now here in the east we don't have that as much especially when you're in the mountain ranges because the, it floods too much and the grass doesn't grow. Out in the midwest you have this grass that falls over the side of the bank. So he would push up that grass and stab his bait in the bank. It had a forked stick on it with a spike going through his meat and he would push that in his bank. That's his, his, he was, that was his only bait or lure that he used. He would flip the stake, which would unwind the trap and he would get the trap where it would be. Now this is a different part, six inches to nine inches deep, six inches to nine inches away from the bank. It's very different than the standard pocket that people set for the most part today. Six to nine inches deep, six to nine inches back. He would put the trap with, with his left hand down where it's going to be about in that placement. He would reach out with that three foot of chain and, and in Nebraska where he's from, he could push that T-bar in. So all he had to do is pick the trap up, set it, put it back in place, and that trap thing is done. I want you to think about the speed of that for a second. You take out of your pocket or you've got it in your hand, you stab your, your chunk of carp up on the bank. 
you set the trap down at your trap placement of six to nine inches deep, six to nine inches back, reach out with the other arm, put the T-bar in, set the trap, put it in front of it and go. Literally, that set is about a 15 second set. From start to finish, game over. So it allowed him to run way more traps than the Eastern guys good at that time. And a lot of the Eastern guys, because they were promoted more in the trapping magazines and stuff, the Midwestern guys were trying to mimic them because that's who the big guys were at the time. And they were running the slide wires and all that. Don Bolte could go in and catch stuff so fast with this system that he would only keep traps there for about three days and he would pull them and then he would go to a new place. Because the pull is set now, you pick, you just if you don't have a coon, you snap the trap off, pull your T-bar, wrap it around, and you go. Don't even worry about your bait if it's still there or not. He's got plenty of it in the freezer. So he was running a lot longer lines, and, and the more important part was he was running many more individual lines. So if you go out and you're going to run, uh, you know, put in 150 pocket sets for coon, and you're running the slide wires and stuff like that, that's probably pretty much, unless you're going to put 10 traps per creek or something, that's pretty much going to take care of your day. And you're going to leave it longer because we're human. We have human nature. We're going to leave it longer because we know we've got to pull the, we've got to pull both stakes up. We've got to wrap the wire up and um, everything like that. So you leave it longer. Well, the way his system was, he could go in, catch the cream really quick, and he's done that over such a long span of area. And then he could pull them all in one day and then the next day have a whole brand new line out where if you're using the slide wires and stuff, it'd take you two days to get all that mess put up. So he had this big advantage to begin with. But the biggest advantage that he had is he was using the one and a halfs that were four cold, which like I said, if you're newer, that may not seem like a strange thing. Back in the 70s, that was very strange. People really didn't start four coiling coyote traps for the most part up until the 80s, you know, beginning of the 80s. You had, the, you had these uh, kits come out and stuff like that and all that. But for coon trappers to do that and to laminate a coon trap was very different. So he had a trap that was very powerful. It was laminated and it was set for the back foot of a coon. And the reason for this is he wanted a back foot catch. He absolutely wanted a back foot catch. Now Nebraska gets really cold in the winter. So I want you to think about his process as he's working through this. Now I want the coon to stay in the water because if it's a quote drowning set, I can keep it out longer. If I do need to run multiple lines, I'm not taking the time with the wires. It's cold water, so the coon's probably gonna freeze to death and drown. So I don't want him to be able to take the core part of his body out of the water. If you catch him by the front foot, there's a chance, and, and they do it a lot, where a coon will be by the, the front foot and get his butt up in the dry, and, and the hypothermia won't take over. So that's the reason he did that. He kept the core part of the coon in the cold water, and he, the, the shallowest it could take its core was six to nine inches deep. So he, he was screwed by doing that. 
Now that's very different if you set the trap up by the hole. Now Don Bolte was not trapping for mink and he was not trapping for muskrats. He was a coon trapper. At that time, you could make really good money at just straight coon trapping. And when you do it with, you know, a thousand in front of whatever the price is, you know, you get $20 a coon in a month and you got a thousand of them, that's 20 grand. Back when that 20 grand would be like someone today getting about 60 grand for a month of trapping. So you can see why he was doing this. If he moved the trap up front, you start getting front foot catches. And in the, the equipment that they had back then, you had more chew outs. There was no DPs at the time, no dog proofs at all. He wasn't trying to, he was being very specific about what he was doing, which meant he was very specific on his location. So it kind of goes back to the stuff we've talked about before. If you're gonna set a cat trap, you set a cat trap. If you're gonna set a cow trap, you set a cow trap. If you're gonna set a fox set, you set a fox set. And you don't set those up to be a, a general hope and prayer type thing. Because that's what happens when you do that. He specifically made these for the uh, coon and coon alone and took everything into account about what was going on and it was an amazing system and it, it's except for the people that are that have kind of read the high rolling coon book or knew him or knew somebody that knew um some of the guys out in iowa no one really knows who don bolte was but he revolution revolutionized coon trapping at that time and when i first got into long line and on my own own personal stuff that's the way i trapped I went straight to the guy that I, that I could see had the quickest system, had the most efficient system, and had the numbers to back that up. And it wouldn't matter if I was in Tennessee or Missouri or wherever I was trapping at the time, that same system still worked. And it, and it, and it, it was like butter, man. I mean, it really was. So I wanted to, to spend a little bit of time and explain to you if you've never heard of Don Bolte, that was his coon system that works today just like it did in the 70s. It's just as fast today as it did in the 70s. But that's not really how people trap anymore now, is it? You know, now you, 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 we've made it overly complicated. Uh, we, we've got all this stuff involved. And so if you're out coon trapping and you're going to be doing it in the water and you're not using dog proofs, I want you to think about Don Bolte a little bit. If you don't believe his system over your system, do yourself a favor and run yourself a little test. Run a week of his system, but you better have a lot more traps because you're going to need them because you're going to be out and under the bridge or off and on the bank of a boat really much faster than you're used to. So you're going to have more traps to put out in a day. And then run that against your other system if you're doing the slide wires or something else. And just see what happens between the two. Because what you'll probably find is somewhere around probably a 40, 50 percent increase. Not so much just by the set itself, but the advantages the set gives a guy to be able to, to, to put traps in quicker, move traps faster, and still have his energy when it's all said and done. So... Uh, you know, think about that just a little bit. Now, before we get, I do want to compliment at the beginning of the show, you heard uh, the thing from Jesse. So if you want to ask a question to me, 
that's a simple way to do it. It really is. I mean, basically, you just have a recorder that, that makes a file on your phone. If you're, if you're older and you don't have a smartphone, just grab the next guy next to you. He does. Ask your question. Uh, send it to me in an email. My email is clint at wolfernation.com. It'll come to me in this file. I can hit play. I can record it. And we can rock and roll and we can hear it. So, Jesse, I want to say thank you for that. The uh, I did get another thing from Jesse that I want to say, and, and this is uh, and he's absolutely right. It's it's a pathetic excuse of a governor screwed up turtles, turtle trappers big time. We can only harbor four snappers a day. You're not very impressed with, with that little weasel. I have over 20 turtle traps. I bought them for forty dollars a piece new three years ago I'll probably still trap when the market goes back up I don't know if I ever get they'll ever get this uh, dumbass law overturned I'll keep a couple but God forbid if it takes more than four turtle traps basically saying to get four turtles he said he doubts if anyone's looking for turtle traps due to current prices but if I know anybody that wants 16 for sale they're there guys now these are uh, conduit stretchers, escape rings for Iowa, they're dyed. He's looking for $500 for all 16 traps and that's a deal. So if you want to get in the turtle trap or you've got a couple of buddies who want to get in the turtle trap, you need to contact him and the, probably the best way is going to be his, his email and I'm going to say this out for you, it's JKNOX0623, so that's Juliet kilo november oscar x-ray this jnox at 0623 at gmail.com so if you're looking for a good deal on turtle traps and some high quality ones that's a really good deal for you and um there you go so i promised him i'd say something because i don't know anybody that's looking for that many right now it's kind of weird all over the country it's almost like a con uh, consorted effort to screw up turtle trapping nationwide uh, you know it's it's just but there again that's part of the weep cycle that we're in they see a problem and then they take their personal pride or their personal see importance of finding a problem and attacking it and so someone probably saw a turtle trapper or whatever or they heard about the numbers of turtles being caught oh my god we're not gonna have any turtles left so they start turtle you know anti-turtle trapping associations and they get all involved and they start politicking that's part of this we cycle you didn't have that in the me cycle you're gonna have that in the we cycle so you can kind of see that more of this stuff's probably coming along but if you need these traps or want these traps five hundred dollars for 16 that's a pretty good deal guys okay the last thing i want to get into and this is a little bit tricky but it, it's uh i don't want to throw anybody under the bus and that's not my intention i'm not getting on to any individual because that's not my intention i'm not going to mention names and if you're curious of who i'm talking about you can ask me all you want to and i ain't going to tell you because that's not the point of what we're going to be talking about today um We need to start using a little bit of common sense. Now, there's one thing that the the, the pendulum, the 40-year cycle I was talking about, 
is very different from the me and the we. I find this stuff fascinating. You know, back when I started trapping, the big catch pitchers and, you know, going out of state and the big money and all that, that was way more impressive. Now, in the we cycle of stuff, which we're part of, whether you want to believe it or not, all of a sudden now, everything, and this goes back, like I said, all the way back to the biblical times, there's more trust of someone that's going out and conquering during the me, and there's less trust when they're doing that during the we. And we're in the we. And one thing that, that has happened all through history is people don't appreciate that in the same manner, and they try to debunk everything, which you see in our society. Trump said this. Let's go do a fact. What did Snopes say? Hillary said that. I think she's lying. Well, we got to go do our research. No, she should have used this word to that word. I knew she was trying to be deceptive. You know, and you see it now in trapping pictures. You know, you've got guys that uh, want to take stuff out of freezers and post them up on Facebook, and then people will blow the pictures up and try to find that it's false. And that's just part of this pendulum. And, and that'll go through to about 2023. But so you've got to keep that in mind with what you're doing. And so you don't get so upset when people question, you know, what you're doing. And the reason I'm telling you this, trapping is a lot smaller than most people think it is. And it's much bigger than most people think it is. And yes, that's the correct answer on both of those and you have clicks inside of trapping which i'm sure everybody here knows you know you got guys that like o'gorman and then they don't like you know a modern trapper i'll say jeff because he knows i'm not picking on him and then they'll have this struggle going back and forth and they say crap all the time and it's always destructive and half the time it's a lie or there's a little bit of a truth and a bunch of a lie to make it look worse and people make these judgments about people and they make judgments about what they're buying and what they're doing off of all this gossip. And it, it's really destructive. And then the other part of this is, is you've got, and, and I hate to say it guys, but it's true in the trapping industry and most of y'all are going to shake your head when I say this, there's a lot of hot air in this industry. You know, you, you go, you go talk to somebody, you know, well, how many cows did you catch this year? I caught four to five hundred. See that picture back there? Next year you see them. How many did you catch? Four to five hundred. See that picture? Yeah, but you showed me that picture last year. Where's the picture from this year? You know, and and it, it's just really weird how how things are today. So the BS that's out there, you need to be aware of. I'm telling you it's out there in spades. You got guys that don't do half of what they say they've ever done and they get mad if, if everybody don't, they start believing their own crap is what it is. I mean, it's clear. There's a lot of guys that's come along the last few years that want people to treat them like they're Russ Carmen, and it ain't gonna happen because they don't have the, the 20 years of experience to, the, for that to back that up. They get mad, they start running their mouth, they start doing all this stuff. It's very destructive. But just in the, I want to tell you some of the stories that I've heard about me, and I want to, I want you to put these in context of what it is, because you hear this stuff all the time. 
Now I got uh, one of the craziest ones that I remember is when I started going to Texas and I'm doing, you know, 70, 80, 100 cats. You know, we're knocking them bad boys out. We got all the pitchers to prove it, you know, uh, they're in end of the year pitchers. You've got whole barns full of it, this, that, and the other. Well, um, I come out with a designed a bobcat cage, and then I started hearing this rumor floating around that I don't trap bobcats. I go to California and shoot bobcats. And he's and this guy has told hundreds of people this, which I find fascinating because I've never been in the state of California. You know, but you hear stuff like that. Now, from your side, from the, the other side of the table, per se, when you hear somebody say something like that, and not because it's me, you need to do some critical thinking. Is the person that is selling you something just trying to turn you away from somebody else's idea or product, and they come up with a bunch of bull crap to, to match whatever it is? So if he thought I was getting more traction in my selling of the Bobcat products, he was trying to come up with a way to make me be a liar or whatever else. But see, where that's hurtful is the gentleman stuff could have been good or not. I have no idea. But what it does is it pits trappers against trappers and clicks against clicks. And now people are always going to do that. But I'm telling you guys, if you critically think about what you hear most of the time and this seems over the top and someone's just a, doing something crazy or bad, if you really dig into it a little bit, you'll find out that most of it is crap. And it's based off of jealousy and people wanting, they think that if they bring other people down or bring them up to that. And that can make you make decisions, especially with buying products or information or something like that, where you're not getting the top quality stuff because you've listened to something like that. So here's another story. And uh, I got a phone call from a gentleman that took instruction from another quote pro trapper in a state in Ohio, which is Ohio. And this guy was putting down, I mean, he was even putting down Johnny Thorpe. Now, to put down Johnny Thorpe, now John, what I couldn't believe is Johnny Thorpe's passed away. So, I mean, putting down a dead man makes no sense to me. But he was saying all this stuff to try to elevate himself. And, and the, the gentleman has bought DVDs and, like my mindset, a professional book and stuff like that. And then that guy was like, well, you need to be really careful what you listen to Clint because there's a lot of guys that don't like him. Now, see, this is where critical thinking comes in part a little bit. Okay, there are guys that don't like me. I don't care. I know that's out there. There's a lot of guys that don't like me because I sell more than them, and that's their problem. It's not mine. There's a lot of people out there jealous because I've caught more than them, and that's their problem. It's not mine. But they, they say these things. But the most interesting about this is... Might not want to listen to Clint because there's some people that don't like him. Well, to me, I'm like thinking, what the hell does that matter? Who cares if 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 you were going to go to Trapper X somewhere and he was the most obnoxious, arrogant, mean, uh, 
screaming lunatic or wouldn't talk to you or whatever it would be, but you paid him for a instruction or a system or something, and you could double your catch or triple your catch, what does it matter that people don't like him? It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. You know, and, and really, when people are like, well, a lot of people don't like somebody, I mean, that's like third grade stuff, guys. We, we, we got to get past that. It really is. You know, and the gentleman that said that about me, I mean, I know of some of the stuff that he's been saying, and it's so bogus, and I'm not going to go out there spreading it, but it's so bogus that it's laughable about that. I mean, he goes with uh, into, uh, well, I'm not even going to get into it, but I mean, it's crazy. Some of the stuff I've heard this guy say. And to me, he's the nicest person in the world. When I'm not there, talk smack about me and a lot of other people. So that's where you're critical thinking. So what I'm saying is, if there's somebody, regardless if you have a personality con conflict or other people don't like him, and he can help you in one way or the other, regardless of who it is, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about anybody. If they have information or a way that can get you to where you need to go, that's where you need to go. You don't have to become lifelong blood brothers with them. You're just going where someone can help you get to where you need to be. And instruction is one of the fastest ways to do that. Or books or videos or something like, you know, trapping radio where it's free information or paid information. But regardless of someone like it, a lot of the reason people don't like me is because I'm just me. I don't try to be what other people want me to be. I'm fine with that. I'm a crass, rough around the edges kind of guy. I'm not going to try to be a buttoned up preacher because that would mean I was fake and I'm not going to go there. You know, I like, I like trapping hard. I like big numbers and some people don't like that. So they don't like me. There's all kind of reasons people don't like each other. And I'm going to give you one more story just so you can, you can, hear these just these three for me so when you hear stories about other guys i'm not talking about me but when you hear stories about other guys there's a better chance that it's not not true than it is that it's true i was just up at the new york convention and i had people coming up to me and asking me the weirdest questions about what bait we used down in texas and i couldn't understand what was going on then i found out what was going on we had Daryl, which was the last guy that won, and he did a radio show with me, the last guy that won the trapping contest out in New Mexico. He went with a bait uh, from Rogers from Pennsylvania. It's a good bait. That's the bait he went and he won that competition with. Well, somehow another guy has got another bait that Daryl has come up with and sold not even the same bait that was in the competition see this is where all these little parts of the truth you've got to pay attention so he's trying to sell a bait and he's he's uh he, he doesn't really sell a whole lot but he come up with this story that since daryl went to the school with me we only use daryl's stuff when you see all those pictures that you see of me at the convention down at the school because Daryl's is the best and he sells Daryl's, which was fascinating to me because pretty much everybody uses my stuff when we go down there, especially me. I don't test other people's lure. You know, that's why I don't accept people giving me stuff to go test because I'm a lure maker. 
and I don't want the even the the slightest chance of someone going. I gave him a lure uh, two years ago, and now he's making it and selling it and screwing me. So that's the reason I don't take people's lure and I don't go test people's lure for them is because I want to stay in the complete zone of no one can say that about me. So I never used the bait. I've smelled the bait. Uh, Rogers gave me a pint of that bait. It's still out in the shop. I just don't use other people's stuff like that. Not that I think mine's better or theirs is worse. I just don't want to be put in the position where Clint, you know, stole something from me. My reputation to me is worth way more than that. So I don't go there. But his his premise was that instead of Clint using that, because he knows I sell a lot more lure and bait, that if I could, he could say that I was using his, which what isn't even the stuff that won the competition, that people would buy his stuff. And I'm sure some people did buy buy his bait because of that. But see, that story, the way it's, it's configured, I mean, that's ludicrous if you sit back and think about it. I mean, why would I use somebody else's bait? I mean, that's some questions you ought to be asking yourself. Is that true? If you ever hear that about me, come up and ask me. I'll tell you the truth one way or the other. You know, it, it's not going to make any difference to me. I've made it very clear that if I go to a job that I'm going to be there more than three times that third time I use somebody else's stuff. Now when I'm in Texas, it's just one time, but if I go to a job like for two weeks and I go off for a month and come back for two weeks, my lures are gonna be the same and I wanna have different stuff. So I'll use Blackies or GH2 from Minnesota, some of O'Gorman stuff, some of Jeff's stuff, you know, whatever. I will use guys that I know make really good stuff that are trappers and I will use that. I don't hide that from anybody. But the, the way that story went was just very deceptive about what happened in her school because it wasn't true. And he was just trying to find a way to sell more products. So all that's going on, guys, inside the trapping industry. So you hear stuff, whether it be in person or you hear it online. And you got to think about that, you know, creative thinking. I mean, keep in mind, you, you've got, uh, if you've got a guy that lives in a certain part of the country, like the desert, basically, and he's got all these water lures and he doesn't have those animals and he doesn't go to those places and trap them. How does he even test that? How does he know if it works or not? I mean, that's where some critical thinking has to come involved. You know, when it comes to lures, and see, here's one thing that I'm just mystified in the trapping industry. And you can take this or leave it for whatever you want. I've had the same Bob, uh, the coyote lures for the last four years I haven't had a new one well I, I have one that's finally after a couple of years I feel comfortable with enough uh, conviction of what I see when I go use it that I may or may not put that out this year but see that's one after four years and I mean I can talk chemistry and perfume and fixatives and bases with anybody in the country when it comes to that stuff. Anybody in the country. But I can, and I've tried, I've had like 30 failures. I mean, stuff that would catch some every now and then. Yeah, you know, maybe people would like it. No, it's got to be top tier for me to put it out there. So after, so really that's like six years, there's only been one that, is, that has been tested out enough to do. 
So my question, just from a critical thinking point of view, if somebody has been making lure for three, four, five years, and they got 10 coyote lures and 10 coyote baits and, and five bobcat lures and five com, uh, bobcat baits and every type of lure, whatever in the world, and you know, five different kinds of glands and matrix and, and all these different coon stuff and all this mink product and muskrat product and they've got you know 14 15 dvds and you know they've got all this stuff out in just a very short period how was any of that tested i guarantee you those people have no clue if that's a good lure or not they're trapper trapping is all that is and then you've got guys that's been around a long time that they don't put out lure you know three or four different things every year because it's almost impossible to have a quality product because it's not just you know i'm going to go in there and add some civic and asafetida and i'm going to throw some of this horse meat in there then i'm going to put a little bit of an easel and then some fish oil and i'm going to smell it and my dog likes it and all of a sudden hey i've got a product i'm gonna put a great big name on it call it you know like the wrath of god or something and put it out on the thing and start you know pumping it on facebook or something you've got to keep all this stuff in 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 track and there's so much bs that is in the trapping industry the hunting industry is worse than this is but there's so much of that out there you the trapper have to learn how to critically think about information about products and stuff that you get and the reason for that is you don't waste your money. And more importantly, more important than money always is you don't waste your time. So that's where that is. So when you hear stories, think about them a little bit. I mean, I could go on for an hour and a half of the most craziest stories that's taken traction in the trapping industry that's so far off the deep end that it doesn't even make any sense if anybody thinks about it. But it goes through the trapping industry almost like a disease. It's almost like people want to believe something bad about somebody else. Well, what about if we as trappers quit doing that a little bit and start trying to help other trappers instead of trying to put other trappers down? Think about how much stronger we would be if we would do that. I think it'd be a, a, a big difference. You know, and it, to me, anyway. And, and just, just from hearing these stories especially the one uh from ohio this week i mean i was just dumbfounded you know and i'm like well maybe guys don't realize that people say crap like that for for whatever reason i mean i'm gonna have a show where i'm gonna talk a lot about baits and lures here coming up but one of the things i keep getting emails on and i don't know who it's from or what's being said i don't quite understand the whole thing i'm hearing stuff like there's guys that are saying that if you use their lure the way they tell you, you'll never catch a non-target catch. I mean, if, if your critical thinking BS uh, switch doesn't go off on that one, you know, we need, we need to get you back in some education. I've heard, you know, stuff like couch, you don't use baits, you just use lure, which goes back to the Russ Carmen thing back in the 80s. And Russ Carmen's never caught enough couch to make that judgment clearly when you look at guys that are catching three five seven hundred coyotes those guys all use bait all the way back through the old wolfer times of the you know from the 40s on up 
all those guys use bait but now there's like a scene apparently a group of people run around you don't use bait on coyotes because you'll just catch non-targets and then i've heard that there's someone out there which i can't i can't even believe someone could say this with a straight face that if you use their bait you'll never have a coyote roll on it i mean critical thinking guys critical thinking because if someone is telling you that that's like uh, uh, a hustle to get you to buy their product. And if they would work as hard on their product as they're doing on the hustle, you'd probably be better off buying that product at that point. Just, just my two cents anyway. You know, I'm not going to ramble on this too long, but uh, you know, just critically think about what you hear. And instead of always jumping towards, yeah, that person's probably a dirtbag, Sit back and think about it because what's going to happen to you, and I'm talking to each one of you individually, is you're going to find out sooner down the road, someone's going to be saying something about you in the same manner that's agreeing with what you disagreed with somebody else. You're going to get mad and upset and all that. So if we just start acting a little bit more like adults, trapping will be a lot better off. And, and the continuity of trapping would be even tighter, which it definitely needs to be. So, you know, it's, uh, it's not trapping season here yet in Tennessee, uh, but I do know that there's some guys up in Michigan, a different place that's already pounding steel. Guys, go get them. Have a blast. You know, rack, just, just stack the fur up deep, and fur market's going to be what the fur market's going to be. A trapper traps because he's a trapper. You know, a fish swims because it's a fish. It's the same thing. Go out there and have a good time doing it, Learn a lot while you're doing it, and as soon as you make sure if your season hadn't started yet that you're ready for when it gets here, and you'll be much better off on the season. So if you're already trapping, man, get up early tomorrow and go catch a few for me, and if you're not, you can be up with me tomorrow where I'm getting stuff ready so I can go start catching some for me. And I'll talk to you all next week.